We come to week 13 in our Believe journey. Uh, if any of you still aren't in an Ohana group or doing the daily readings, we, uh, we have those books available at the information station if you'd like to join us in this trek. Some of you probably noted in the news last week that Donald Trump spoke at Liberty University, Christian University, and uh, among his remarks, uh, he quoted a Bible verse, and uh, he he cited the reference. In fact, the Bible verse is now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, seeking to kind of ingratiate himself with the crowd. And then he gave the reference, 2 Corinthians 3.16. And some people kind of snickered out there. And then one of them said, that's 2 Corinthians. And I think it's become obvious, not just from that, but from other comments that uh, Donald really hasn't been spending a whole lot of time in reading and studying his Bible. And by the way, he's not alone in that. And so some of the other candidates are just like that. Just because just they say a good word about God doesn't mean that they're devoted disciples. Okay, we have to pay attention to the biblical issues and, and where these candidates are in reference to that. Well, before we chide Donald or the other candidates too harshly on their biblical knowledge, we probably ought to look to ourselves and the church in general because uh, we've got some shortcomings. I know I made a commitment to Christ when I was nine years of age at a church camp. I was baptized shortly thereafter, but I went for years without really reading regularly or studying the Bible. And because of that, I had gaping chasms of ignorance in my mind about who God was and what he had done and what he wanted to do, his plan, his purpose for my life. In general, Americans don't read a whole lot. In surveys that have been taken, wow, uh, I think 40 one percent said that they had read a fiction book in the last year. Forty-two percent said they'd read one nonfiction book. And 28 percent of those surveyed said they'd read a book. Uh, they'd, they'd read only one book the last year. So uh, in general, we're not doing that well. But when it comes to the Bible, it's kind of similar. More than half of Americans polled said they wish the Bible had more influence on our nation, our declining nation. And yet, only one in five um, Americans uh, reads the Bible on a regular basis, even though 88% of Americans own a Bible. So what's happening there? I mean, in this Believe series, yeah, this week it's on Bible study, week 13. But I want to remind you of the fourth week, our key belief that week. It said, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it guides my beliefs and actions. If we believe that, that it is inspired by God, this book that we hold, then it's going to motivate us for the practice that we're going to consider in week 13. In fact, if we can bring that up, here's the practice. It's right under Bible study. Let's read it together. I study the Bible to know God and His truth and to find direction for my daily life. Wow. 
That's wonderful. That's a great promise that uh, will take place in our lives if we'll be diligent to do just that. Getting, God's, getting into God's Word gets God's Word into our lives as well. And so I want to suggest to you how we can do that this morning. There's an outline in your bulletin. I want to share a few principles, and then we're going to do something different in this service today. We're going to actually practice what I'm preaching. We're going to have a little brief Bible study. But uh, here's the first principle. It's essential for babies to long for milk. It's tragic if they never go beyond it. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, he speaks about how we are born again by faith in Jesus Christ. First chapter, he talks about that. Then he talks about the Word of God, how it will never perish or fade away. And then he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, in all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again, spiritually, into the family of God. We're born again, and what we need to do is begin to grow, just like a brand new baby needs to begin to grow. And he's saying, we'll do this if we'll have an intake of the pure milk of the Word of God. Not just books about the Bible, but the Bible itself coming into our lives and informing our thinking that will result in those initial behaviors as a babe in Christ. In fact, that's what is so necessary for a newborn babe. Otherwise, that person may drift away or just be shallow from that point on. Now, when the writer of the Hebrew letter wrote to believers in around late 60s, first century. He was talking about some deep things of the faith, fulfillments of prophecy that were made full in Christ. And one of the areas he gets into is talking about the priest Melchizedek. You read about him way back in Genesis. And uh, he starts talking about how he was a picture of Jesus. And then he says something really interesting in chapter 5 about Melchizedek. He said, concerning him we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now it's a wonderful thing when a baby craves milk, but if they stay on it too long, that's a problem, isn't it? And that's true in the spiritual realm as well. When we're born again into the family of God and we just begin to take in the word, we're not going to be at a deep level. That's okay. We just need that to sustain us and help us to grow. But eventually, we need to start maturing. When we put our faith in Christ, we're saved. 
but we're not yet mature. That takes time, growth, and growth comes from an intake of the teachings of Christ and the Word of God uh, that are more meaty. Dr. Jenny Wellam is a pediatrician. She's a member of our church family. And I asked her some questions this last week about babies and milk and solid foods. And wow, she gave me so much information. It was fascinating. But I'll just share a few things. She said that, yeah, it's essential that that milk be pure and uh, not contaminated. The mom can't be doing drugs or smoking even or all kind of problems it can cause for the child. And so we need to make sure that we're getting uh, the pure milk of the word. But then she said this. She said if a, if a baby stays on milk too long, they develop a preference for liquids and will avoid solids. And that causes problems. She said the baby can be then anemic and malnourished. And if it goes on too long and that infant doesn't graduate to more solid foods, then the muscles uh, in the mouth and throat are not developed so that baby can adequately chew and swallow. She said it could be temporary or it can be permanent if it's not dealt with. They even have an institute at Johns Hopkins University where they treat uh, infants like this or little older uh, children who've not learned to do that. I thought, wow. There is a parallel in the spiritual life. Some people think, okay, I believed in Jesus. I'm born again. I got my ticket to heaven. Now I'll go do what I want to do. And they remain babes in the faith. They're vulnerable to the cults from which 80% that go into the cults come from churches. They are open to the enemy's attacks, false doctrine, uh, weak in their faith, unable to really touch the lives of the people around them because they're yet babes in the faith. And the longer we go, it gets more difficult because... We haven't developed a spiritual muscle to chew and to swallow the more meatier truths of the Word of God. Sometimes we're intimidated by it. We, we're not sure how to do it. And uh, we need to be discipled. A lot of that happens in our Ohana groups. And it needs to happen uh, in each of our lives. And you find somebody that you can get alongside of and just that knows how to study the Word. But I'm going to give you a primer this morning. It is actually enough to get you going if you're not that familiar with it. But so we need, to, we need to grow. We need to get into the more solid things. How do we do that? Well, as it says in your outline, di disciples through the ages have practiced the discipline or habit of reflecting on God's Word. You'll notice that Disciples and discipline look really similar. They came from the same root word because disciples, those who follow Christ, have disciplined themselves to get into his word, to pray, and to obey what he says to do. And that's been true of those who've loved God down through the ages. Look in the Old Testament before Jesus came. I mean, the the king of Israel, David himself, the shepherd king. Look what he said about meditating on God's word and how he loved to just spend time reflecting on God's words to him. And I, I love, I delight in your law, he said. Well, when Jesus comes, 
he encouraged those who would follow him to do the same. A very familiar passage in John chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Discipline is not a really popular word. When we think about uh, getting in shape, that takes some discipline, right? When we talk about a diet, well, that's going to take some discipline. I mean, all of those things take discipline, and so does taking time to reflect on the Word, to study the Word. We think discipline restricts us. It actually frees us. You know, if we're weak and flabby because we haven't done any exercise, we can't do some things we'd otherwise be able to do. If, if we uh, just haven't disciplined ourselves in the area of eating or our thought life or whatever, we're really in bondage in those areas. And so it is when it comes to studying the Word of God. We think we're free by not doing it, but we're actually encumbered by all kinds of values and beliefs that keep us from being who God designed us to be. And so discipline sets us free and we'll know the truths of God and those will free us indeed. So what I was going to do in this message was share with you some of the benefits of studying God's Word, talk to you about maybe a little more in depth about how, wow, we'll know more about God and His characteristics. We'll uh, have a clearer understanding of how He's directing us in our lives. We'll become more like Jesus. All those and many more things that are benefits of studying the Word of God. But instead, I thought, no. The question this week is, how do I study God's Word? So let's just take a few moments and actually study it. But first, I want to give you a simple way to do it. There are many methods in which to study. Uh, I'm going to share one with you, and it's in your outline. A tried and true method of studying God's Word is known by the acronym OIA. Three parts to this method. And the first is O, observation, where you're just considering, what does it say? This passage that I'm reading this morning as I have time with the Lord, what, what does it say? What are the facts in that passage? Simple observations. And they don't have to be profound, just what's, what's happening here? And by the way, we might start with the context. Is this in the Old Testament that I'm reading, or is it in the New Testament? Makes a difference, right? Who wrote this? To whom were they writing? What time period was this? What was happening? And you might say, well, how would I find out all that stuff? Go ask the pastor? No. You know, there are study Bibles that you can pick up at the local Christian bookstore for probably $50 that are excellent. They'll give you all that information in the beginning of each book. There's Bible handbooks. There's tools that can come alongside the Bible that will give you all that background information. It's kind of important to know that. And then when you look at the passage, just look at, okay, what are the facts here? Remember, dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. That's what you're looking for in observation. Now, one of the problems is when we open the Bible, we're, we think we're on a speed reading course, that our goal is to get through as much as we can as fast as we can. 
I got to get through the Bible in a year, so I got to read 20 minutes every day, and I don't have hardly much time. So, and we don't really stop to think about what we've read, and we miss so much. So when you first approach a passage, you want to observe what's in it. Then we move on to interpretation. And we're asking ourselves the question at this stage, what does it mean? What was the message to the original audience? Because there was a, an original meaning and message of that passage that was to be understood and still is to be understood, the interpretation of the passage. What's the point? What's the point of that passage? If we've moved too quickly from observation to interpretation, we haven't, we've skipped observation, just gone to trying to figure out the meaning, you know what we'll do? We will bring in what we thought the passage was about, if we've heard about it. We'll bring our preconceptions to that passage or what somebody else said that it meant rather than understanding what God intended the meaning to be uh, that we can discover for ourselves. And it's wonderful for us to discover in a passage, wow, this is what God said and this is what he meant. Now when it comes to interpretation, Bible scholars tell us how many correct interpretations there are for each passage. Just one. There's only one correct interpretation. This is what God said. This is what he meant. Okay. We need to understand that and get that down. And, th and that's a challenge sometimes. And there are passages that are a little more obscure and it's more difficult. But we do our best to understand it in the context of Scripture. Okay. And then we move to our third point, and that is application. And that's where we're saying, what is the Lord saying to me? through this passage. And he could be saying what? If there's only one interpretation to each passage, how many applications are there? There's an infinite number. Because when we come with an open heart to the Word of God, He will speak to us if we're listening uh, about our own lives. He may give us guidance for a decision that we're seeking to make. If we're in the midst of a trial, he may give us encouragement or wisdom in that situation. He may give us a command that we are to obey, a sin that he highlights through a passage that we need to repent of and turn from. He may give us some new truth about himself where we can give him praise and adoration for who he is. But God will speak to us in so many different ways uh, if we'll come to him in this application portion seeking to hear what he has to say to us. Now, many of you are in an Ohana group and you're going through readings of scripture every week in this, uh, well, it's a bigger book, the Believe book, but you also have this study guide, okay? And in it, there are many excellent questions for you to ponder, and these are great. So you can spend time reflecting on the word and answering these uh, questions in here. But when you're not in a group that has one of these, beyond believe, let's say, uh, what are you going to do? Well, you can just take any passage of Scripture and employ this method of OIA, observation, interpretation, and application. And I want to demonstrate that by having you 
participate that in, in that in, for just a few moments here. And what I'm going to do is take a passage from your Believe book that you will be reading this week. And uh, I pulled it out and I put it in my article. So I want you to take your bulletin out and uh, open it up. And on one panel, there's the sermon notes and, and the outline. On another panel, there, there's scripture. Matthew chapter 13. That's in your reading this week. If you don't have a bulletin, there should be a sheet in a seat pocket in front of you that has these two panels. So if you'll pull it out, I need your help. I need your participation here for the next several minutes. What I want to do is read this, have you observe it, interpret it, and apply it. Okay? So let me read it. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. In the next paragraph, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but it says the disciples came to Jesus and said, why do you speak to them in parables? It was kind of hard to understand. He said because they really don't want to hear it. They're not listening. They have no desire to hear what I'm saying to them, but you guys do. And so you're going to understand it. And he said, this is just what Isaiah the prophet said would happen long ago when I came with this message. And then he continues in verse 13. He's speaking to the disciples. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now here's what I'd like you to do for the next several moments. I want you first to take that passage that's right there in front of you and maybe pull a pencil out of the seat pocket or a pen and observe it. Circle some facts in there. Just underline some truths that you see. You're not trying to interpret yet. You're just 
observing. And then we'll go on in just a few moments to interpretation. But stick with the facts at this point. What are the sim some of the simple facts you see in there? I'm going to be quiet and let you just reflect on that word for a few moments. Okay, I know this is short. This is a condensed study. But uh, you can do a study like this in a few minutes as well. But move on now to interpretation. What's the point of the passage? What does it mean? What is God saying in this passage? Reflect on that for a few moments. And you may want to jot a note uh, to that effect in your outline there. What is God saying? What does it mean? Finally, come to application and, and answer the question, what is God saying to me in this passage? I mean, we said there could be an infinite number of applications, but think of one thing God could be saying to you in this passage. Take a moment and reflect on that. Okay, I bet we've got some applications that we've come to. And uh, by the way, some people open the Bible and they want to say, what's God saying to me? without any understanding of the context or what it really means and just jump right to application. Not a good idea. We may get really misled there. We really need to understand what does it say, what does it mean, and then come to application, what God is saying to us. So I want to hear from you. I want to just ask several of you to respond first on observation. What are some facts in this passage that you noticed? They could be really simple facts. We, those are important as well. What are facts? Anyone? Several of you. Farmer went out to sow the seed. That's good. That's fact. Right. What else? Yes, Jerry. Large crowds, Brad. Jerry. He's, yes, he spoke to the large crowd what? In parables. Oh, that's good. Okay. What else? Anyone else? What did you notice in there? Facts. The disciples questioned him. Okay, good. Yes, Lydia. Okay, good. He revealed it to his disciples, Mary. Types of soil. How many? About four types of soil, right? Okay, good, excellent. Well, okay, I think that about exhausts the facts in that story. Just kidding. <laughs> There's a lot more, aren't there? But you get the point. There's a bunch of stuff in there, and it's good to kind of think about that. Let's move on to interpretation. What, what do you think was the point of this? Why is it in the Bible? What was the point of this passage? What's God mean through this passage? And what does Jesus mean? Principle of sowing and reaping, okay? The seed is what? The word of God. And so there's not going to be reaping if there's not sowing. Okay, that's, that's, that's a truth. Okay, what else? Many types of hard attitudes when it comes to receiving the word of God. Okay, good. Yes. People respond differently to God's word and? What does the good soil mean? Excellent question. Somebody, yes, Allison? 
Okay, good. And that kind of relates to your question, what's the good soil? And Allison's saying, well, is your heart prepared in the necessity of us preparing the soil? And so a good heart is a receptive heart that receives the Word of God. And, and one of the good things here is that, is that there's the implication that the soil can change. You're not sentenced to be one soil all your life. Sometimes our hearts are hard. Sometimes we're confused with all kind of worry and, and uh, distractions. But the soil can be cultivated, okay? That's what Jesus, he had that large crowd we talked about, and there were lots of different soils represented, lots of different hearts represented, and he wanted the disciples who would be sowing the seed of the word in days to come to know that that's going to be the case. And I've seen that through the decades. Wow, we all fit in one of those categories and the problem is sometimes we move to the wrong kind of soil. Need to nurture it and bring it back. So what's, a, what's an application? I mean, there are several. Don't want any major confessions here this morning. But theoretically, what could be an application in your own life? Becky? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Okay, that would help you to become the good soil. Okay, to receive it. Good. What else? Another application. Yes, David? Okay. The planning. As we are casting the seed, as we're sharing the word of God, absolutely, yes. We need to understand that there are different soils out there and plan accordingly. Pray accordingly, okay? Another application? Yes, Nilva. Oh, good. Excellent. That's a different application, but could come from that same passage. Just like the disciples said, we don't understand this, Lord. Explain it. We can come to the Lord with our questions. So you can just see there are so many different applications just initially that we can come up with. And when we're spending time with the Lord, God will speak to our hearts about where we're at and uh, impress on our hearts something that we may need to know. And so what I want to encourage you to consider doing is doing this on a regular basis. As I say, if you're in an Ohana group, use that Believe study guide and reflect on those scriptures uh, carefully, observing, interpreting, and applying, and then you can answer your questions better. And uh, as we move beyond that study guide, use it for any passage. Uh, whenever I preach a sermon, I mean, during the week, I consult commentaries and see what the scholars have to say, but I begin each morning in that passage, just reflecting on it and considering what is God saying, what's he mean, and how does that apply to me? And then I journal about it. And that's what I would encourage you to do because there's something really special that takes place when we reflect enough on God's word to actually write something about it. It forces us to slow down and think about it. I'd been in the ministry for several years by 1979 uh, without spending just a regular daily time, quiet time. Nobody had ever taught me how to do that. I went to a navigator's seminar, they called it. That's a Christian organization that really focuses on discipleship. 
And we spent a day in a seminar where uh, they taught us how to do this, you know. Have your set place, your set time. Make an appointment with God so that you can uh, not wonder, well, where's my Bible? Where's my journal? Where's a pen? No, you have it all there, and you have a set time every day. They encourage the morning. As you see, Jesus often in the morning would slip away to pray. It's a good, good opportunity that many have found to be helpful. I find if I don't do it in the morning, other things tend to crowd it out. But you find the time that works best for you each day. And here's a good thing to do is to, every day, write the date at the top. Because that will help you to be faithful. So that, well, i got to write the date down, so I better go have my quiet time. We don't want to be legalistic. I mean, uh, we don't want to go on a guilt trip if we miss a day. I don't like to miss a day, personally. Sometimes I do, you know, but I learned from John Ortberg, who's a pastor who's sometimes been at the hymn conferences. He says, I know that one day my kids are going to read my journals. So if I miss some days, I just go to the last entry and put a parenthesis under it and write, See other journal. Okay. So, no, we don't want to be legalistic about it, but we want to be intense in this because it takes at least 28 days to develop a habit. And if you do this and it becomes a habit, that's a discipline, and that'll be transformative in your relationship with the Lord. It'll help us to become the people that God wants us to be. And some of you may say, well, I'd rather do it on a computer. Great. But... I personally like to write, Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, said thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. Again, if you slow down long enough to actually record something, then uh, we'll probably get so much more out of it and we'll be able to carry it with us through the day and reflect upon it. So here's your assignment class. This week's assignment. Practice the discipline of your own quiet time. Many of you have been studying for years. Many of you have already got that discipline down. Some of you may be brand new to this. It doesn't matter. This works for veterans or babes in the faith and will help all of us to grow and to become students of the Word and servants of the Lord. And so that's my encouragement and hope for you. I thought, you know, what if, what if we opened our Bible as often as we flip on our cell phone to check our emails? Well, how about if we'd begin each day in the Word and in His presence? Some of you are saying, now wait a minute, Pastor. Two weeks ago, you encouraged us to start the day in worship. And then last week you suggested that we start the day in prayer. And now you're saying start the day studying the Word. I really need to get to work. Well, you don't have to spend three hours at this. You can, but you could start with ten minutes of worship and prayer. Ask the Lord to speak to your heart. Spend some time in His Word and then pray and commit this to Him as you carry it through the day. You may go longer than that, but ten minutes 10, 15 minutes will get you going and you will see a difference in your life that becomes a discipline in your experience. So that's my encouragement to you. Someone came out of the last service and said, you know, I heard someone say, 
You can't complain that you haven't heard from God when your Bible is closed any more than you can complain you haven't received any texts if your phone is turned off. So let's open our Bibles on a regular basis and listen to what the Lord is saying to us with a heart to put it into practice. Please bow with me for prayer. Lord, we are grateful that you've spoken to us through your word. I mean, for centuries, Christians didn't even have options. No written word. But now most of us own multiple Bibles. And we have opportunity to ponder what you've said and what has changed lives and destinies down through the ages. So we're asking, Lord, to help us become a people of the word, a people of the book who live it because we love it and we're becoming more like you. I pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.